0: Take your Bibles this morning and open them back with me to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, back into that sermon that Jesus is preaching at the end here of Luke 6. This morning we come to verse 37. And... We've looked at several things in Jesus' sermon up to this point. Uh, we began by seeing the kind of life that the Lord calls blessed, that that the Lord calls worth living. Um, it's a life that, if you remember, is given over to Christ. It's lived for Christ. We would use the language, it's sold out for Christ. And Jesus says, the world may think if you live your life for me and in distinction from the world, the world may think that you're poor and hungry and, and broken and, and the world may even hate you but Christ says that's the life that's blessed that's the life that's that's worth living just so you know and then last week we noticed that he began to flesh that kind of life out what does it mean to live for Christ well it means in verses 27 through 36 how we engage the world is different and as Christians we engage the world with a life of love and with distinction from the world and with a life that reflects Christ. That's how we engage unbelievers and engage the culture and society around us. Today we come to the portion of Jesus' sermon that focuses on our relationship to one another as Christians. How are Christians supposed to relate to other Christians? How how are we supposed to interact within the church? How are we supposed to engage other brothers and sisters in Christ? particularly as we seek to grow in Christ. I think that's one of the most pressing and important issues in the church. And I think it has been since the church has existed. When you bring together such a broad group of imperfect people dealing with their imperfections who are striving to pursue Christ together We need to have governing principles in how we relate to one another. We need to have governing truths in how we are to strive for Christ-likeness together. How we're to pursue godliness together. In fact, the things that we look at today are not only to be implemented in our church and how we fellowship together. These are how we are to relate to all believers, whether they be from Trinity Baptist Church or whether they be the believers in Russia that Ricky and Brandy know or the believers in Malawi or Denver or anywhere else. These are how Christians should relate to Christians who are together pursuing faithfulness in Christ. Now Jesus does have something to say about how Christians relate to each other. I hope you're thinking of the passage Uh, in John chapter 13. Jesus says, Love is how you are to relate to one another. It should be what marks you out as Christians and in your relationship. But if you flip over to John chapter 13, Jesus is even a little bit more specific. John chapter 13, verse 34 and verse 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. That's a high standard. Verse 35, Jesus says, By this... All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In the very basic foundational way, Christians are to love each other in such a way that we reflect Christ to the world that it is clear we belong to God. We've been changed by the Gospel. We are influenced by Jesus. And that's who we follow after. That's who we belong to. And that is to be expressed by how we Love one another. But the question is now, what exactly does that love look like? How how is that kind of love that Jesus talks about in John 13, how is that kind of love expressed to one another? What are the defining marks of that kind of love? That's, That's what we want to answer this morning. If we are to relate to one another in love, What does that love look like? And I want to be more specific because I think the the passage is more specific. How do we relate to one another as we help each other grow in Christ? Not just striving together, which is true and and should be true of the church, but as we help each other strive for Christ. How, How does that love look when we get involved with one another and help each other pursue Christ? That's what Christian fellowship really is. It is that pursuit in love of Christ's likeness together. It's not just spending time with one another. It is helping one another grow in spiritual maturity. It is the very pursuit of Christ, of holiness, of godliness, of righteousness. And here's the truth. Whether we want to admit it or not, The truth is, if we are going to faithfully follow Christ, we need each other's help in doing that. None of us are are designed by God, and the church was not designed by God, to pursue Christ alone. Faithfulness to Scripture and faithfulness to Christ gets exponentially more difficult when you try to do it on your own. Some of us know that by experience, don't we? We actually are designed to need each other's help to grow in Christ. That's why the writer of Hebrews will say, Don't neglect to meet together. That's why Paul will write in, in most all of his epistles to churches unite together, strive together, side by side, for the faith of the gospel. Not ashamed in anything. Pursue unity and love and peace with one another and harmony together. It's because we need each other's help to grow in Christ. How are we to do that? What's that help look like? How are we to relate to one another in such, and honestly, in such delicate matters? Because when we begin to get involved with one another's life and all the complexities of one another's lives, isn't that delicate? Isn't that a sensitive act and a sensitive pursuit? Yes, it is. And so, how are we to do that? Christ lays out the guidelines in the passage this morning. He defines what our relationship should be to one another and what our responsibility should be to one another as we help each other grow in Christ and as we pursue the Lord together. These are the common... Basic truths to help each other spur one another on to faithfulness. Now, let's be honest. What we're going to look at in verses thirty-seven through forty-two here of, of Luke six, it's a rather difficult passage for all of us. The things that Christ are, is going to lay out here—they're difficult for us on a on a very personal level. These things that He's talking about here, just like with last week's passage, as we engage our enemies in the. The world around us, the same is going to be true as we engage one another. These things are against our selfish, sinful flesh, our fleshly desires, our, our fleshly impulses. They are sacrificial things. In fact, we can almost sum it up that way. How we relate to one another and how that love is expressed to one another is sacrificial. We give ourselves for one another. And I want to again just stress the importance that what we look at here, if you are a believer and you are called to be in the church of God, what we look at here, we must understand and we must practice and we must remember because these things are needed to help one another walk in grace and pursue Christ and be blameless. But they're not easy things. They're difficult. And so we look at this passage with humility and we look at this passage with honest conviction and we look at this passage with correction but we also look at it with motivation we should have uh, an eagerness and a hope from this passage in, in helping one another grow in grace that's that's the kind of text we come to that's the spirit of the passage i believe so let's look in Luke chapter 6 verse 37 at the words of our Lord as He's preaching these things to His disciples. After telling them again how to interact with the world, He turns His attention to their relationships together. And in verse 37 He says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that's in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take out the log of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. There's really one main point to this passage, in how we are to relate to one another and in, in striving together for holiness and godliness, and all of those those things we're called to. the The one point is that we are to love each other with mercy. There'll be a few subpoints from that, a, a few um, f- points that Jesus gives, fleshing that out. But the the main point here is that we are to love one another with mercy. That's how we are to relate. With each other that's how that love that that defines us and distincts us from the world that's how that love is expressed mercy now this passage you you probably know is perhaps one of the most misquoted teachings of jesus by believers and non-believers alike right it's it's used as kind of a defense mechanism to ward off accountability or examination or challenges to holiness i mean people use this as kind of a a coverall to say that you, you can't get into my life. You're not, this is my personal space, and, and what I do is my business, and you're not to be involved. That's how people have traditionally looked at this passage and, and taken it. That that's how it's misquoted. The problem is that's not what Jesus is saying at all. The problem is that Jesus isn't giving this as a defense mechanism. He's showing us here the attitude, the truths, the principles of how believers are to relate with other believers, again, particularly as we are helping each other grow in the church and in Christ. And it makes sense, as the church is made up of diverse and imperfect people, we need such structure and guidelines as verse 37 and verse 38. Truth be told, and some of us have experienced this, left to our own, even as redeemed sinners, we are more likely to Harm and hurt one another than help one another. And so Christ knowing that, our Lord knowing that, gives us these instructions. We've seen what happens in churches today that don't follow the things given in verse 37 and 38, right? When they quit following the headship and lordship of Christ and begin following themselves, they splinter, don't they? They fall apart, they they bicker. They argue, they're distracted. And so I want us to get a good understanding of these passages, these two verses rather, because this is how we are to relate to each other. This is the common instruction of our Lord that all of us are to abide by and submit to. And how we deal with one another. And how we love each other with mercy. Now in verse 37 and 38, Jesus gives kind of four short brief statements. Two negative and two positive. At the beginning of each of them, if you uh, have the English Standard Version and and most other reputable versions, the beginning of them are uh, consisting of action commands followed by passive results. The first one Jesus gives in verse 37 is judge not. This is where it's uh, mostly misquoted. People are quick to remember this teaching of Christ Uh, so that they can try to ward off other people getting involved in their lives. So let's look at when Jesus says judge not in verse 37, let's talk about just a little bit what Jesus is not referring to. First, He's not referring to discernment. In fact, Scripture commands us to be a discerning kind of people. And in fact, in verses 39-42, through Jesus shares parables that required discernment. You need to make sure you're not following a blind man. You need to make sure you're not being a hypocrite. These are acts of discernment. Paul tells us, and Christ tells us, discern the wolf in sheep's clothing that may be in your midst. Discernment's a gift of the Holy Spirit. So Christ, when He says judge not, is not referring to discernment. We're called to be a discerning people. To be a people who know the truths of God and the Scriptures of of God and to search them out and discern everything according to them. Second, Jesus is not referring to examination of morality or ethics. We are called to examine each other morally and ethically. That's accountability. Accountability. You and I are called as believers to help one another and hold one another up to the same standards of God. And we are to look into each other's life and peer into each other's life and witness and encourage in the moral commands of God and to the standards of God. We'll see that later in the same sermon Jesus is preaching in verse 43 and 44 and 45 to determine whether we are good trees bearing good fruit or bad trees bearing bad fruit. Examination is important in the life of the church. Examination is important in the life of the believer. If you want to grow in likeness, if you want to mature in the faith, if you want to put off the old self and Put on the new self and enjoy the abundant life of Christ. You need other brothers and sisters peering into your life and examining examining you. So Christ is not referring to here the examination of morality or ethics. And He is not referring to, thirdly, that determination that's needed to determine whether someone among us has spiritual life, and or if they are growing in the faith. You and I are called to examine to see if someone is born again. If they bear the fruit of walking with Christ. If they bear the fruit of a life changed by the Gospel. Otherwise, how would we ever know who to share the Gospel with? We're called to examine and to determine whether someone is as far as we can tell, a believer. And if they are a believer, are they growing? How tragic of a truth is it that people, let's say college students for example, that's just where we're at as a church, could attend Trinity Baptist Church for four years, five years, even six years, and walk away not ever having grown in their faith. And Encountered an individual in Oklahoma City who went to college at Southwestern in the 80s, attended Trinity Baptist Church, taught a Sunday school class at Trinity Baptist Church. And I I asked him, Where are you going to church now? He said, I haven't gone to church since I left Trinity when I graduated college. We are called to determine whether we are helping each other grow spiritually in, in Christian maturity. This judge not that Jesus is talking about in verse 37 doesn't negate or examining and peering into each other's lives and determining such important matters. Scripture, on the other hand, commands us to do such things. So what is Jesus talking about when He says judge not? Remember, He's talking about believers, brothers and sisters, and what He means is that we are not to have harsh And unfair assumptions of one another. You might say we are to give each other the benefit of the doubt as far as we're able to. We're not to be overly critical of one another. We're not to be casting a brother or a sister down in what I call unremovable judgment. That is nothing more than seeing yourself as superior over a brother or sister. Right. We're to be discerning to one another and we're to be examining one another and we're to determine such things as spiritual faith and spiritual maturity in in Christ, but we are not to be harsh and unfair towards one another. We're not to be belittling one another. I'm more mature than you are or you don't have it all together. Truth is, none of us do. So we're not to have harsh and unfair assumptions with each other, towards each other. Closely related to that, we're not to have uninformed opinions of each other. We're not to make judgment calls of one another based on false facts or misunderstandings or misguided focus or bias. That's that's such a, a difficult truth for us, isn't it? If someone has wronged us in the past, it takes a lot of time for us typically to get over that bias toward them. Christ is saying don't be biased towards one another. And don't see yourself as wise enough to make a judgment call on someone without knowing the truth of the matter. Thirdly, Jesus is referring to a judgment that dismisses each other, writes each other off. Well, they may profess Christ, but they've sinned so much, they're too far gone. They're too far to be changed by the grace of God. They're too unworthy to be in our fellowship. That's the kind of judgment Christ is coming at. This, this idea of looking at other brothers and sisters and seeing their shortcomings and seeing their fallings and saying they're unworthy. They're too far gone. They do too much wrong. Church, that is hypocritical thinking. And that is thinking that's motivated and fueled by pride. And that is the thinking of the Pharisee. And praise God, that's not how Christ related to us. For if anyone could have been harsh in his judgment... If anyone could have made a judgment call without the facts, if anyone could have dismissed us, it would have been Christ. But that is not what Christ has done for us. And so that's not what we should do to each other. We are not to have harsh, critical attitudes towards one another. We're not to dismiss and write each other off. How many people have gone through churches across the centuries hurt by such attitudes? Jesus says in that verse, judge not and you will not be judged. That's not a reference to eternal judgment saying that if you don't judge someone here on earth, then you're not going to be judged by God. The only thing that exempts us from the judgment of God is Christ. So That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's speaking very Practically, if we are not judgmental towards others, then when we mess up, they're less likely to be judgmental towards us. It's actually rather simple. A common principle today. They recognize that you're not a judgmental individual. You're striving for unity and the faith in Christ just like everybody else, and they're more likely to extend help than judgment towards you. Very practical principle for the church. The same thing is seen in the other three things that Christ mentions here. If, if you're not condemning, you're less likely to be condemned by others. If you're quick to forgive, you're more likely to be forgiven by others. If you're quick to give, you're more likely to be given too. That's what Jesus is saying there. That good measure will be measured back to you. So we're not to be judgmental in that kind of a fashion. Secondly, He says we're not to condemn one another. It carries a sense of finality to it. It's, it's placing yourself as both judge and jury over an individual's life. It's trying to determine someone's final fate in life. Condemning them. How often do we write people off before we extend the grace of God to them? It's mentally picturing them and... and never seen them beyond anything than what they are sinfully, never seen them beyond anything than what they've done. Christ says you're not to condemn each other in such fashions because Christ didn't condemn us in such fashions. We're not to like like we talked about judging, we're not to write each other off as deserving punishment and, and incapable of returning to Christ, not willing to extend grace and mercy even to the, the worst of the worst. These are the two negative things Jesus lists. As you relate to one another, do not be this way. Because your Father is not this way. He goes on and gives the positive instructions. Instead, as believers, we are to interact with one another in forgiveness, right? And in giving. And, and what I'm going to try to do is make the case of, of self-sacrifice. Let's look first at forgiveness. It carries the same kind of ringing truth at, uh, as verse 36 at the end of the last passage. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. That's why we are to love with mercy because God has been merciful to us. And so we interact with mercy. We fellowship in Mercy. The truth is, and some of you know this very well, as we live the Christian life together and walk the Christian faith together in the the relationship of church members and and other brothers and sisters in Christ, we will inevitably see the shortcomings of each other. And the longer those relationships go, the longer we spend time together, the more shortcomings we see of each other. The more of of the sinfulness and the fleshly desires and the shame that that comes out within us. And that's even elevated to a degree as believers know how they should respond and how they should behave and what they should be doing according to Scripture. And so then we're quick to notice when somebody's not behaving that way. We're quick to notice when someone doesn't live up to the standards that we're all being taught. We're all listening to the same sermon We're all sitting under the same passage. We're all reading and studying the same Scriptures. And we know how each other should behave. And we recognize the shortcomings in one another because of that. That's part of the Christian relationship. And that's part of the design of the church of God. That's no surprise to God that we would witness each other's faults It's precisely because Christ knows that. That He says, instead of being judgmental and condemning, you are to forgive. Instead of living in retaliation like the world, you're to live under the law of grace, the grace of God. The truth is, our brothers and sisters are usually the first to take notice when we make a mistake right. My mother loves me very much. My grandmother loved me very much. And they were incredibly biased. I never did anything wrong in their eyes. But my brothers and sisters in Christ know how far I've fallen from grace. They may not know the full extent, but they know it. And we need each other with such knowledge of each other, we need each other not to look at each other with a condemning eye, but with forgiveness. Because that church reflects Christ. And reflecting Christ even to one another is our great need. To love one another as, as we are to love one another. According to John 13, that's reflecting Christ. We're, we're called to live together in grace with each other and, and with patience together and with compassion for one another, right? Are we called to live in encouragement with one another and live for the good and for the help of one another? Because as I've said before, I want to say it again very clearly, not one of us are found to be perfect. No matter how we appear in public and no matter how we relate to each other in front of one another, the truth is, the sobering truth is, not one of us have it all together. Not a single one of us know everything there is to know. Not a single one of us perfectly keep all the commands of Scripture. And every single one of us need the patience, grace, and forgiveness of our Lord displayed for us by our brothers and sisters in the faith. I want to say that again because that is the point that needs to sink deeply into our souls. Every single one of us need the patience, compassion, love, grace of our Lord displayed for us by our brothers and sisters in Christ. There are times when your behavior can remind me of Jesus. I want you to imagine the power that would surge through the church if we related to one another in this kind of fashion. Imagine the the unity and the love and the peace and the strength that would exist in a church family that lived by these principles, these truths of, of Christ. Imagine the freedom that would be there to honestly pursue Christ together as forgiveness is reciprocated among us. Secondly or, or fourthly sorry verse 38 there Jesus says not only to forgive but to give and certainly that means helping each other with our resources in times of need right if if you're in a moment in life where you're in great need and I have the resources to help you as a brother and sister in Christ I should help you and I should try to meet your need even if it means lending something a possession that would meet your need, that should be done. But I think the greatest way we can give to help each other is to give ourselves. That, that's our greatest need. My money may help you for a time or my possessions may help you for a time, but we need each other to give ourselves to each other. To live in self-sacrifice for each other as we live the Christian life together, as we relate to one another, and as we pursue Christ's likeness, we not only need forgiveness and grace, but we need help and accountability, right? In other words, I need you to get involved in my life as difficult and delicate as it may be. When you unite together in faith with Christ, we are being commissioned to give ourselves to the help of our brothers and sisters. That's edification. That's iron sharpening iron. That's the... Life of the church. That's what you sign up for when you come to Christ. Church, that is sacrificial love, isn't it? It's a willingness, but it's also a practice to get into the mess of life together and to get into the hurts of life together. To help one another overcome sin. How pleasant of a practice is that? One of my greatest heartaches in ministry is sitting down with someone and talking about their sin. Because I feel like the biggest hypocrite in the world. And I know that the choices they make that are opposite of God only harm them. It's not a pleasant act to help one another overcome sin. It's not pleasant to get in the mess of someone's sin in their life, but for brothers and sisters, we need each other to sacrifice to help us overcome sin. We need each other to keep the faith. If you see a brother and a sister walking away from God, their faith dwindling, their obedience slipping away, their devotion weakening. They need you to help them keep the faith. Truth be told, in a couple years, you may need them to help you keep the faith. We need each other to help each other endure suffering. We need each other to help each other pursue Christ. We're not meant to be alone, but together, church. You're called to sacrifice yourself. And it is not easy, but it is important. And that is what love looks like. That's what that love expressed is like. That's what Christ is talking about here. That is true biblical love. Last night I actually happened to come across a quote from John MacArthur that fits so perfectly into this. He says, biblical love is not chemistry. It's not impulse. It's not emotion. It's self-sacrificing. And when you love like that, and when I love like that, the church will be like Christ. And the world will know that we belong to God. That, that's what we're talking about here. When we say that how we're relating to one another should be love with mercy, we talk about sacrificial love, self-sacrificial love that extends mercy. Peter says, Lord, how many times am I supposed to forgive? Over and over and over and over. Be merciful as your Heavenly Father is merciful. And I'll just be honest with you, such love like this will eliminate most of the problems that take place within churches today, won't it? Because love like this eliminates pride. And and love like this eliminates the thought of ownership within the church. And love like this eliminates division. Instead, it fosters hope and it fosters faith and it fosters strength. And that is the design of the body of Christ. You and I, we're supposed to live in the same unity as the Trinity. As brothers and sisters. And let me tell you, that is accomplished with, with what Christ is saying here. Judge not, condemn not, but forgive and give yourself to one another. That's the good measure Christ talks about at the end of verse 38 there. That's the good measure that will be given back to you. When you give yourself for the sake of others, you will find others will be more likely to give themselves for your sake when you need it. And Jesus uses a a truth here, a a picture truth here that would have been very vivid in His time. It's a picture of purchasing and collecting grain. And the one who would sell the grain would take a a measuring jar or bucket or container and he would fill it up to a certain point and then he would shake it together and, and twist it in this turning motion so all the grain would settle in the container that he was using to measure. Then he would add more grain to the container to a certain point and then he'd begin to pack it down with his hands to make it tight. And then he'd add more grain and continue on until the grain was overflowing. And then it was common practice to pick up the measuring container and kind of gird up your robe and drape your robe over it and carry it in case any of it spilled over because it was overflowing. It's the same picture Christ is saying here. These things are the good measure and those are the... That's the good measure that's going to be put into your lap in abundance, overflowing for you. You can imagine the reciprocating love in a church if we were a people who forgave and sacrificed for each other. Abundance would be repaid to us in love and in unity and compassion. Real quickly, I I do want to cover the rest of this passage. If you'll bear with me, I'll I'll speed through it. Because that's the main point of how we are to relate to one another. Love with mercy. But how does that flesh out even of itself? How do we give ourselves to each other? How do we not judge and not condemn, but live lives of sacrifice for each other? And that's what's in the parables that Jesus is sharing here. Number one, we're we're to lead each other in truth. If you want to give yourself for the church, if you want to give yourself for brothers and sisters in Christ, you need to lead them in truth and not in your opinions. It's, it's such a tragic and subtle poison in the church today where people want to counsel and help one another through life by mixing the world's advice with the words of Christ or mixing their opinions and their thoughts with the words of Christ, and that is fruitless. Jesus says that's like a blind man leading a blind man. You're both going to fall into a pit. Such an, uh, another vivid picture for the people sitting around Christ at this time because in the countrysides of where Jesus is at, they often dug pits and cisterns looking for water. The, the land was littered with pits and holes. It was dangerous to travel outside of a road. How much more dangerous would it be if you're blind? trying to travel. But there will inevitably come a time when you will help lead someone in the Christian faith within the church. They will need your advice. They will need your clarity. God will enable you and give you the grace to help apply certain passages to their lives. And they will need you in some way or another to lead them through various circumstances. That is why it is so vitally important that we all know Scripture. That we all study God's Word. Breathe God's Word. Meditate upon God's Word. Memorize God's Word so that we can apply it. We can expound it. We can insert it in someone's life when they need it. We can recall it with the Spirit's help at any moment. If you're going to give yourself for a brother and sister, you need to be prepared to share the truth of God with them and not your thoughts and opinions. Christ tells us in verse 40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he's fully trained will be like his teacher. How good is that if your teacher is false? You want to do someone good by investing in their life? The simple truth is, if you only invest your opinions, they will only rise as high as your opinions. If you give them falsehood, they will only grow to falsehood. Error never gives birth to truth. And your opinions never change the soul like Scripture. If we're going to be a people who give ourselves to each other, we need to be a people who come under the common leadership and common authority of Scripture able to live by it and apply it for one another. But secondly, in this passage, moving very quickly, if we're going to give ourselves for one another and if we're going to relate to each other in this kind of merciful love that Christ calls us to, then we must be a people who live consistently who live in humility, who live in faithfulness, and who live by the grace of God and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We're not to be people who are on sin patrol trying to pluck out every speck of dust from our brother's eyes. We're supposed to be striving together. What kind of credence does your life have if you're calling everyone else out for their sin and not seeking to be faithful in your own life. If you're not living a life worthy of the Gospel, how can you speak into anyone else's? Christ is not advocating perfection here. And He's not advocating that we don't speak into each other's uh, life. Look look at the end of verse 42. He says, Take the log out of your eye and then you'll see clearly. To take the speck out of your brother's eye. That's the goal. To take the speck out of your brother's eye. Nobody likes their eye to be irritated. And nobody likes to have unseen sin in their life. But if you're going to do that, Christ says, if you're going to give yourself, and if you're going to love each other, and if you're going to help each other grow in the truths of Scripture, then you also have to live a life consistent with the truths of Scripture. You have to be striving to be faithful to Christ. and Let me... Let me just say, that's, that's the key word, striving, right? You don't have to be perfect to speak in someone else's life. But you have to be open and honest. And you have to be pursuing Jesus and working for godliness. That's how you give yourself to each other. By you personally being grounded in truth. By you personally living a life that's consistent. I want to wrap up by saying that we live this way before one another because this is the life that reflects Christ in the church. We can talk about morality, and, and we should at times, and we can talk about the ethics of certain things, and we should at times, but it all comes down to the simple fact that you and I must reflect Christ in our lives if we are professing Christ in our lives. And that's a tall order, right? But that is the order nonetheless. We are to live a life Changed and influenced by Christ and by His Gospel because that is the life that Christ lived for us. All of these things that Jesus calls us to and the way that we relate to our brothers and sisters is the exact way and things that Christ did to relate to us. Not judging. Not condemning. Instead, forgiving. Sacrificing yourself, Jesus is the one who did all of that perfectly for you and for me, for your brother in Christ, and for your sister in Christ. How arrogant of a thought is it if we write off somebody whom Christ has forgiven, if we condemn someone whom Christ is sanctifying, if we dismiss someone whom Jesus would not have us dismiss? None of this means we lower the standard by any means. None of this means that we ignore, negate, neglect sin or unrighteousness or immorality. No. It means that we take each other by the hand and we help each other through the struggles of this life pursuing Christ together. That's the Christian relationship. That's having love for one another. It's not letting each other run rampant in rebellion to Christ. It's helping each other reflect Christ. Himself said in John chapter 3, I, I did not come to condemn the world but to save it. Acts 10, John 1st, John 1, Colossians 1. He talks about his reason for coming was to forgive. John 10, Matthew 20 talks about his reason for coming was to give himself for a sheep, laying down his life for a sheep. We live this way and we're called to these things because this is Christ's likeness in us. And church, I'm going to say the greatest thing that we have need for in the church today is for those who belong to Christ to reflect Christ to one another. I don't know if you've gone through any personal tragedies. I'm sure you have at some point in life. And if you were a believer at the time, I would venture to say that your greatest encouragement was when somebody did reflect Christ to you. When they encouraged you with the Scriptures, when they were gracious to you, when they were honest with you, but nonetheless compassionate towards you. I was there last year with with depression. My greatest need was not a blind man leading me. I needed someone to clarify Scripture for me while my mind was clouded. I didn't need somebody who had a log sticking out of their eye to come and try to get the log in my own eye. I needed someone to compassionately come and say, Let me help you here. I, I needed this love. I needed this forgiveness. I needed this sacrifice. And praise God that many of you were willing to give it. But are you willing to give it for one another? That's the question. Are you willing to reflect Christ to each other no matter the cost? Because that's the calling. So thankful that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So let us be the last to condemn one another. Thankful that Christ took our judgment for us. Let us not be quick to throw each other back under judgment. So thankful that the the cosmic king of the universe was willing to forgive my treason, shouldn't we be quick to forgive each other? Praise God that Christ sacrificed himself for us. Shouldn't we be doing the same? A person sitting in this room that belongs to Christ in faith is the very person that your Lord, whom you love so dearly, gave his life for. Let us value them the same way. The greatest thing we need in our churches today is Christ-likeness. Reflecting Jesus to one another. Living like the Lord together pursuing that same goal of Christ-likeness. I typically end every sermon the same way saying this may not be true for you because you may not be a believer. And let me end this sermon this morning by saying this may not be true for you because you may not be a believer. You may not reflect Christ because you don't know Christ. You may be judgmental and you may condemn others because you don't know forgiveness and you don't know sacrifice. You simply must be honest with yourself. Is my attitude one of judgment towards everybody else? Or does my heart reflect that Christ has been working in me? And that I'm becoming more like my Savior. Maybe you genuinely are a believer and this is just one of those areas you genuinely struggle with. Maybe today is the day of apologizing to others. Maybe today is the day of repentance. Maybe today is the day of coming before the Lord and being honest and saying, I need you to work yourself within me in these matters. I need to lay aside my hypocritical, judgmental relation to other believers. None of us are perfect. We all get it wrong from time to time. Lord, I need more of Your mercy. I need more of Your grace. And more of Your forgiveness. More of Your sacrifice. Lord, I need to know the truth of Your Word so that when somebody needs counsel or advice or help, I'm not a blind man trying to lead them. Lord, I need to do away with my ungodly habits and my sin so that I can clearly see to help others grow in Christ. This is a difficult passage. It's a highly applicable passage, but nonetheless difficult for us when we begin to internalize it and examine ourselves according to it. But church, this is a passage worth fighting for. If we want to excel together in Christ, this is a passage... Worth fighting for. Father, I thank you for your word as we do every week because in it we know of you, in it we know what you would have us to do and what you would expect of us, God. In your word we know the truth, and in your word we can be corrected. It's profitable for teaching and correction and training that we could be competent. We thank you even for for difficult passages God. We can talk a big game and we can agree with you and we can say yeah, don't judge and yeah, don't don't try to take the speck out of a brother's eye when you've got a log in yours. We we totally get it and agree with it God, but we just don't practice it a lot. This passage it's it's difficult for us Lord but it's enriching. These truths are what provides for abundant joy together and and harmony and purity with one another, Lord. So we ask You, help us to live by these things. Help us to relate to one another in such love. Help us to know Your truths. To help others with Your truth. Help us to... Put away sin to help others put away sin. God, help us to give ourselves as You gave Yourself for us. Help us to have hearts that reflect that You dwell there with us. Help us to live lives that reflect the indwelling of Your Spirit. And Lord, thank You for not condemning us. For not judging us moment that we have transgressed You, but providing in Your great patience, providing repentance and faith. You are the perfect example of not ignoring sin, but yet extending mercy. Help us, Lord, to follow Your example. Work among our hearts, Lord. Let us be a people of repentance and let us be a people striving for these things. And if there be any unbeliever among us this morning, O God, maybe today they would have their hearts pierced by You. Your Spirit would weigh heavy upon them to open their eyes to the truth that they need to lay aside their pride, their reputation, Lay it all out before You in confession and come to You in faith. We pray You are glorified in the reading and opening of Your Word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.